Holy shit, how did you... Short version? Stole it. Mid-voyage, we wound up on this random island just, like, covered in treasure. A dragon breeding ground, which was like, huh, spontaneous orgasm. I mean, places like this are so rare. There are only two species of dragon that even build treasure nests. Anyway, this was in one of them with a bunch of cool stuff. But the thing that got me was I could feel something coming up. Yeah. Even now, it's somehow not dead, right? And, you know, the dragons were all horny and distracted, so I just took it. Just like that? I'm a person of questionable ethics. <laughs> Here. It's yours. From one cluster to another. Wow, thank you. So do you know what it does? I mean, each one sort of has a unique thing. I don't know. Maybe you can figure it out. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 306 of Physical Kids Weekly. Do you like teeth? I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And today we're joined by the geek queen herself, the brilliant, the talented, the phenomenal Felicia Day. Welcome, Felicia. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. We are, we're just really thrilled to have you here, both because of your role on the show and because of the role that you have played in making independent media productions like our little podcast possible. So um, one thing that we ask all of our guests the first time we have them on is how they got involved with the show. I have, uh, it's a strange story, not really a strange story, but um, I was really lucky to be talking to Sci-Fi about doing a role on a show, and I said, well, ideally I would be on The Magicians, since that's my favorite show (laughs) that you guys have right now, and it just so happened that they were in production, and um, I went in to meet the producers, Sarah and John, and they were like, well, we have this role that you might be right, perfect for, it's Poppy. And I was like, wait, what? I believe I remember that from <laughs> the books. I was like, are you serious? Can I just, cause I kind of just figured I just had like some small role or not, you know, some role that was not actually like iconic like that um, or in, in canon. And so I was just so thrilled that they thought I was appropriate and it all worked out. And um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a dream to be on a show that I enjoy as a fan I, of course, admire Sarah so much. She was the person who got me on Supernatural. So I am blessed with uh, Sarah Gamble's favor, and hopefully it will continue (laughs) in the future. (laughs) One of our listeners, Logan, actually has some kind of crazy theory about uh, your character on that show and your character on The Magicians being connected, which I won't ask you to speak (laughs) to. uh, Really? (laughs) I hadn't heard anything about that, but I love uh, love. I love that idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure Logan will be happy to to have that approval. Um, so I, I heard you say that this was one of your favorite shows, The Magicians, and um, it sounds like you also read the books. Is that right? I did read the books. I read the books when they first came out, so several, several years ago. In fact, I know Lev Grossman just, it's a strange coincidence. He interviewed me for one of my first legitimate quote-unquote interviews for, I believe it was Time Magazine, yeah. Um, when he mm-hmm. was a reporter and he interviewed me about at Comic-Con one year about what I do and the guild and all, everything like that. And then, um, you know, he sent me his, his book because his first book was called Codex. Yep. And uh-huh. Codex is the name that I named my character. Uh, it was a name that I've used all my life online. Codex uh, was like my handle. Yeah. Um, and it was from the Ultimate Dragons. Uh, the Codex of Infinite Wisdom, but Lev Grossman's first book was called Codex uh, something or other. But anyway, so he sent me a copy of that. And so we knew each other for many years. And when I first did my book tour for my memoir, You're Never Weird on the Internet Almost, he actually introduced and interviewed me for my very first stop in New York City. So it's such a weird, strange circle because he didn't you know, I, he, he wasn't in the loop when I first started talking um, with them to be on The Magicians, but when he, he sent me an email saying he was thrilled that I was going to be Poppy, <laughs> I was so relieved because <laughs> I'm like, you know my work. I really hope this doesn't screw you up in your mind. He's, uh, I, when I, I told him that we were interviewing you um, for the podcast uh, and we were talking a little bit about your character and the sort of differences between the book and the show, and um, he said, first of all, that he thinks that they've, they've kept the sort of main things intact, but he also said that he likes you so much that he, he doesn't know if he would care even if they hadn't. <laughs> oh, so yeah, you know, I was I was I was never even contemplating doing an Australian accent. It was just 
it would insult the whole country of Australia. <laughs> Although I've heard people on TV do worse accents, I'm like, I don't need to need to do that. Um, and I'm not blonde. But other than that, I do think that the spirit of the character is certainly intact. And actually, they did a little twist on her in a way to make her a little slightly more sociopathic, which I enjoy a lot. And it oh, yeah. goes with the tone of the show. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get to that for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's quite sociopathic. Danny, I know you had a you had a question about the comparisons of this show and Buffy, right? Oh yeah. So you're on Buffy, obviously, um, one of the greatest shows of all time, and, and um, everyone is <laughs> everyone is now kind of comparing the magicians to Buffy, saying it's like it's the new Buffy of this generation. Um, how do you feel about the comparisons, and how do you feel about being on such progressive TV shows? Yeah, that's a really interesting comparison. You know, Buffy at the time, you, know, you, you kind of, if you watch Buffy now or even Buffy five years into Buffy, it's it's so interesting because Buffy, the, sh- the TV show especially, really just blew up so many molds and defined so much other TV that people copied. It's almost like you don't appreciate how revolutionary it was in having such a strong female character the sort of arcs, the big bag arcs over the season mm-hmm. that they established. They had the bad guy of the week, but they also had these big, long arcs of relationships and bad guys that basically define genre TV nowadays. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I do think The Magicians is similar in that there are a lot of iconic relationships and arcs and big epic story arcs. But at the same time, I think Magicians in the spirit of Buffy sort of uh, breaks breaks down and invents its no new it's a new way to do genre. So mm-hmm. I think it's almost like the pr- natural progression of another generation looking at genre because it's very deconstructional. It's very um, nihilistic and very realistic when it comes to personal relationships. There's not always like a great sunny rosy side between you and your friends and the people you have sex with. There's a lot of darkness there too, and I love that the magicians really roots everything in that sort of nihilistic, deconstructed sort of lens, through that lens. Um, So yeah, I think there's similarities, but it's not as if it's derivative in any way. I think there's similarities in that they um, are pushing the not, the pushing, pushing forward in genre and pushing the edge edges to, uh, to as far as they can go. Yeah, we really enjoy it. Um, I I was, I feel blessed that I actually watched Buffy uh, as I was growing up. Like, Growing up with, like, a female, a strong female character like Buffy, like, meant a lot to me. And mm-hmm. I think it's great that, you know, The Magicians is kind of giving people strong female characters again. I mean, there's so many. There's plenty. But, like, well, I love how, like, yeah, everyone's so, it's, like, it's just realistic, like you said. Like, um, they feel like real people just in a fantasy setting. It's amazing to see. yeah. I agree. I agree. And I'm so lucky to be around still <laughs> doing what I love <laughs> in the kind of shows that I love. You've had an interesting career. Like Clara mentioned, you've paved the way for a lot of indie productions. Can you tell us a little about a little bit about what it was like trying to get the guild off the ground? You know, I, uh, I look back and I don't I know that everything I did was out of sort of a desperation to get my voice out there and not really having anybody else understand me or um, allow me to do my my thing. Mm-hmm. And the great, wonderful thing is that at the time, there was all these things emerging that were, were giving people the tools, but it was very, very early on. And because I had been on the internet since I was a kid, I saw those tools and I just, I, 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 I leap of faith into um, the opportunity and the avenues. And even to this day, you know, I will spend, like last year, I did a lot of, you know, very professional writing in Hollywood and None of it got made. And I was like, and I, I told myself this year, I'm like, you know what? Maybe you just need to go and do your own podcast or like uh, write a graphic novel or do whatever it is to get your voice out there because you can kind of, um, if you keep waiting for permission for somebody to let you do it or waiting for them to praise you enough that you get off your butt to do it, you might never do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not like um, you, you, you find that and you're always like that. It takes a lot of strength of will. It takes a lot of bravery it takes a lot of gumption and um, it's hard to have that all the time, especially we don't have positive reinforcement. But the great Mm -hmm. thing is that the internet allows you to be able to get your voice out even to four other people. It's one other person. It's really worth it. 
Um, and so I, I guess as a byproduct of what I did, the most wonderful thing that I hear is that I started a podcast because of you, or I read a script because of you, or I decided to go back to school and study filmmaking because of you. And, um, that really shows you the direct link between creator and, uh, and creativity and encouraging other people to get their voice out. I think that's more impactful than people just enjoying your work because it's affecting their lives and the way that they conduct themselves and the way they create their own uh, opportunities as well. Yeah, for sure. I, I think what you said about there being just this, like, the right confluence of factors when uh, you launched the Guild is something that that really resonates for me with this podcast because I think, like, we really started it on a whim a year ago and just got really, really lucky that we we got in touch with the right people at the right time and that I think podcasts are where they are right now so that, like, having a having a podcast that supports a show is is kind of a important thing both for the show and for the podcasters. And it, you know, we have people all the time ask us like, how are you getting guests or whatever else? And most of the time it's what we have to tell them is, you know, we just got really lucky that we were kind of in the right place at the right time. Well, but it's also, I mean, yes, there's luck, but it's also, you know, a lot of us have ideas every single day about things and you can't follow every idea you have, but you also have to be really brave to follow any of your ideas through. And so, you know, you might have had the impulse, but you didn't follow through and you didn't yeah. get all the technical equipment together and you didn't just go ahead and start and you didn't do all this stuff. You know, there's a lot of reasons, millions of them. Sorry, there's an emergency in my neighborhood. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of reasons not to do something, uh, yeah. even if you have the most brilliant idea. And it just goes to show that um, if you follow through, it's uh, it re- the follow through is really the most important thing. So, you know, kudos to you guys for actually keeping going and going. And, and getting that idea and just getting, getting, getting it off the ground. Yeah. I think it's also like passion. Like you have to have mm. a lot of passion for what you're doing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's true. A lot of people are like, I want to be a famous, you know, blogger. I want to be a, a famous podcast or I want to do these things and, or I want to have written a screenplay and really it's just actually realizing, Hey, I want to enjoy the process of something. Yeah. Versus mm-hmm. like want the end result that really, I mean, I fall into that trap sometimes too. I'm like, I wish I had, I wish I had this and it's the end result I want versus the process. And, um, the process is really the thing you need to look for. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that, I think that's definitely true for us for like this podcast experience. Cause you know, mm. we're, we're definitely not making any money off of it. So if we were about <laughs> the results, yeah. <laughs> um, so I read an interview with you, Felicia, from I think a couple years, like 2012 or something like that, where you talked about experiencing success at a time when you, you hadn't really defined what you loved or figured out what you wanted out of life. And I was just really curious how you worked through that and how you figured it out with such a spotlight on you. I don't know if I still don't, I don't even know if I know now. Hmm. <laughs> Fair. I mean, I think that, I think we're always constantly changing as people and for a while, I stumbled upon something that gave me a lot of, of enjoyment. And half of me is, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I should go back to doing that thing I used to do. And half of me is like, I don't know if that's exactly what I want to do, but I don't know what I want to do next. Hmm. I think, you know, I did work through a lot of issues and I had a lot of stress and I let a lot of pressure get to me, um, particularly around those years because I had too much work and I was doing a lot of things for other people or because I thought, I wanted to be something um, that I didn't, I re- or I didn't want the process, to be honest with you, like a business. I wasn't a business person, and I was running a business, and I had all these employees and people depending on, P- on me, and I wasn't being as creative as I wanted to be. I was just being sort of a, um, a figurehead, and it was, not, it was not good for me, and I got myself out of that, and, um, you know, and then I got back to doing creative stuff, and then the last couple of years, I had a baby, and I, I'm struggling now. Thank you very much. She's one years old now, but <laughs> I'm actually struggling with what next. And there's some things that I thought I wanted that now going through this big life change, I don't know if I want them anymore, but I don't know if that's out of fatigue or whether I, I truly am a different person. So I think we're always constantly changing and growing and we're having to check in with ourselves to see if our goals are still what we want. And I think a lot of people look at people who give up not dreams or goals as failures, or you look at yourself like a failure. It's not, maybe you just work through them and you have new goals or you have new dreams and it's okay to let go of things in the past because ideally we're always growing and we're always changing. And I think if we're stagnant, 
and you have that same dream your whole life, maybe you're not growing, maybe you're not pushing yourself, maybe you're not finding what else you can be as well. So that's a really long winded, <laughs> not very helpful answer that, um, you know, there's, ne- you're never there. Yeah. Even if you think you get it, you're still not there. And so never look to that goal to be your happiness. Always look to the daily grind in a sense, or at least the daily process of what you're doing and always be flexible enough to change and grow and let go and still love yourself. It's kind of the moral of the magicians too. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. (laughs) Uh, That's great. You're a great fit. (laughs) Um, So You've written a great deal about what the internet means to you. What are your earliest memories of the internet, and what's the first community you were involved with online? Well, the internet has been with me since I was like six years old. I, I remember my mom <laughs> using a tiny, tiny computer that was so old to dial up with a modem to oh, type yeah. on, yeah, on a CompuServe thing, and it was a little green screen, you know, that she used and. She would type to other people and you know, argue about politics, and <laughs> I would use that service and try to get cheat hints for. Uh, Infocom games and things like that. So my <laughs> early memories are kind of like the beginning of the community public internet. Um, I, I I have so many fond memories, and the first real community I was a member of was the Ultimate Dragons. And if you read my biography, I, re- I write extensively about this bulletin board on the service called Prodigy, which was pre-internet. Yep. <laughs> and I dialed up, and I loved being a part of them. I did fan fiction. I wrote about books I loved, and it was a it really made me feel like I belonged because I was a homeschooled kid and I didn't have actual friends that were real in person. And when I found that place that accepted me, it meant so much to me. So, um, whenever, whatever I do on the internet, I always, I feel like whenever I feel kind of away from myself or adrift, I go back to and do something to, uh, create a community around myself and other people and for people who like my work. And it makes me feel so much more fulfilled. Like, I just started a Discord server, and there's oh, yeah. so many people, hundreds of people chatting now, and it's so much fun to lot, pop in and see what people are talking about or just chat myself. And um, it really centers me in what I enjoy because that, I think, universally, making people feel welcome and accepted and having a home, in a sense, online is very important to me as a person, and I think will always be. It, it gives me a real thrill to hear that you – uh, played Infocom games because uh, I have like long been a text adventure nerd. I still am. They still exist. Oh, um, <laughs> I, I've always said, you know what? If you just get six months off, just write a twine choose your own adventure game. You know, it's a text game because you can. Uh, it's a great kind of open source uh, <laughs> way to create a text adventure game. And there's some really clever, really well written ones out there that people have done. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's great. You can get them all on your phone too, for like $7. I have them all on my phone. <laughs> you can, um, you can get a, there's, a, you can get Tad's interpreters on your phone. Um, like, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Um, I went back and like replayed bureaucracy recently. Oh my um, gosh. It's- <laughs> <laughs> I just remember there's one Infocom game and I can't remember the name of it was a murder adventure and there's a girl named Deirdre in it and she always got murdered, I think. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, if I ever have a child, I would name her Deirdre, which I didn't, but at the time. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is really cool. I, right now there's like, I love the sort of renaissance of them, like all the Emily Short stuff. I don't know if you've played any of her work, but if you I haven't. I never played that. That sounds, um, that sounds fascinating. I don't give me another addiction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to give you one. So she's a person, but, uh, the game that I would suggest you play is Galatea, um, because uh-huh. it's, it's, it's pretty quick, um, but there's something like 200 or 300 possible endings. Um, oh, wow. And the whole game is a conversation with a statue that has been brought to life. Um, oh, that sounds really cool. Yeah, and it's, I mean, one of the reasons I really like it is because it's like a real conversation, right? Like, you have to get her to trust you, and if you ask things out of order or are impertinent or dig too deep, she, she like, shuts off, shuts down, and it, like, cuts off entire lines of conversation. Ooh, that sounds so good. I mean, I, I love, you know, there's some, I think that I love escaping into other worlds, and I love living in things, and, and, yeah. I, and I think that especially with gaming, there's always this sort of debate between like the, the mechanics of the gameplay versus the storytelling. And to me, it's always storytelling that makes me want to be in a game. Yes. Um, Same. And I, I will totally check it out because that sounds amazing. Yeah, I, I think you'll really like it. She has a lot of really good stuff, but that's the one that cool. like got me addicted to her. Um, cool. 
Okay, so we'll get to the episode soon, but um, I actually wanted to share a little bit of our backstory that I'm not sure even most of our listeners even know. We, we've, we've had a couple requests before to like say a little bit more about how we got involved with this. So um, Danny and I met on Tumblr uh, because of the Magicians fandom, um, but uh, it was a pretty small fandom at the time because the show wasn't out yet. We were, this was in what, like 2014, 2015, something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I remember that when I read the books, I, I, I was really confused because I would like talk to my friends about them and almost nobody I knew had heard of them despite the fact that they were bestsellers. Um, and oh. so it sort of felt to me like they were these like little underground bestsellers. And we were on Tumblr, there were like what, five blogs? It was like you, me, Kat, uh, Andy, and Rosalind, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. But the thing about sort of being early in a fandom is that you kind of get to you get to create this community and then you see all the like great parts and the terrible parts of the fandom and the internet. And mm-hmm. so we've had this chat for going on two or three years now. Um, and for a lot of people, it really is a haven. But it's also been like an occasional target. We got 4chan a few years ago, which was really awful. Oh, people just like putting all sorts of Nazi paraphernalia in there and... Really good stuff. No, in our chat on Skype. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, not this one. I'm so don't sorry. Worry. It's uh, I, it's it's awful, and I don't know how people. Unless you've been through it, I don't know if you can describe how um, violating it's, it is to be attacked on mass by people online, yeah, yeah. especially in that way, and you feel scared and you feel threatened. Like you do. I mean, for many years, I didn't even feel safe in my own home because I knew that that board was kind of fixated on me and uh, and knew where I lived. And so it's really scary. And the fact that there's no repercussions for a lot of that stuff yeah. is, is really upsetting. Mm-hmm. Well, so the question I have for you is is pretty much, you've been through some of that stuff and probably a lot worse than we have as very tiny podcast people. Um, how do you maintain optimism and authenticity online knowing what's out there? I just, um, I had, you just have to protect yourself the way you need to be protected. And I definitely withdrew myself from the gaming world quite a bit. And I went quiet a lot in that world. Um, and a lot of companies stopped hiring me for things because I became controversial because they attacked me, which was very ironically sad. But, um, given kind of stepping out of that world a little bit definitely helped and um, because that was what really was the main focus of their wrath was my, I guess, rep- being very vocal about women in gaming and uh, defending women who were being attacked by them in gaming. Um, but I also was very ruthless about muting people because one bad comment, I would let ruin my day and I wouldn't write for weeks because I was so demoralized. And I just, that's just who I am. I know I should be more resilient and I've had so many bad things said about me, but at the end of the day, um, I can't help the way that I react. And the only thing I can do is um, just try to protect myself because I wouldn't put up with that in real life. So I just ruthlessly mute or ban or block people. Hmm. And I never read bad comments. I try not to read comments on my videos anymore. And I will just ban anybody who's a jerk because they don't need to see my stuff. <laughs> I'm saving them the effort. Um, <laughs> It's really, yeah, and that's the only thing you can do, really, because there's no, a lot of, a lot of sites don't have, even give you the tools to be able to do that. Thank goodness Twitter got a mute button and a block button and all these things. And, um, you know, unless they're going to actually clean up and take responsibility for the space that they create, um, you have to do it yourself. So I think protecting yourself with every single tool that you have is, is all you can do. Yeah. And be very careful with your personal information. Use a PO box, and just really, if you're going to be any kind of public figure, um, treat yourself very, very carefully, and never put your personal information out there. Um, you know, for fear of somebody like that just tracking you down and wanting to do something bad, or at least threaten it. Even the threat is enough to make mm-hmm. you feel unsafe, and it's not right. There's um while while we're talking about that, I want to plug a book, uh, Violet Blue who is a, a sort of internet journalist and privacy advocate. She has this great book. Um, it's like Privacy for Good Girls or something like that. Um, the Smart Girl's oh, Guide to Privacy. That's what it is. Um, has some good tips in it. Um, wow. Well, I uh, I think everybody 
everybody, even if you're not a public figure or do something, um, should, should follow those rules because honestly, you never know who's going to fixate on you or, you know, even somebody in real life, you don't want to give them any ammo, especially we're a lot too loose with the things that we do online and you need to protect yourself as much as you would in real life, um, with your online personal information. So yeah, that's great. Everyone read it. <laughs> I don't ever read it. If <laughs> it gives you tools, do it. <laughs> Good advice. Um, okay, so I think I think we owe some fun ones after that. Danny, you want to? Yeah, so we're wondering uh, what video games are you playing right now, and are there any games on the horizon that you're excited about? Well, um, you know, this is sad because I have so many games I want to play, and yet I have <laughs> no time. I, I started mm-hmm. streaming again. I stream on Saturday nights a lot um, on Twitch because mm-hmm. I love it. It's just so much fun. I've been um, streaming this game, Vaporum or uh, Vaporum. Hmm. It's kind of a dungeon crawlery throwback game. Hmm. And um, I I need to play, uh, what is Edith um, uh, Finch, the Edith Finch game I have to play. Um, what Remains of Edith Finch. It won a lot of the video game awards this last year. I'm very, uh, it was released last April. So I really, really, really want to play that. Um, I have another game, Castles and Kingdoms, that it's kind of sort of a castle sim city that I, started playing and then stopped um and i still haven't played dishonored too so i'm like catching up with 2017 because i <laughs> had a baby and she's a real crimp in my playing game style <laughs> <laughs> well you're, you're more ahead than i am i i don't actually i would say that i don't understand twitch as a human but i watched part of your life is strange twitch and i really enjoyed oh, it oh wow <laughs> thank you i uh that i love that first game yeah it's um, solid <laughs> Really solid. Very. It almost. It made me cry. I think. There's I, I very think few it, games that made me cry. Cry. I think it made it a lot good. of people cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm. I'm just so- silently waiting for Kingdom Hearts three to come out. That's, That's what a lot of my friends are doing. I am not so much a PS4 um, person, so I can't say. I got a Switch, and I was playing Golf Story, which I got stuck on. I really just need to get my game up to get past this <laughs> this thing. Um, <laughs> And uh, I, I really love the Switch. I, I was not sold on the Wii U. I was like, this is terrible. And I didn't want to get another Switch. And I got one for Christmas. And I, it is so well made and so well done that um, I would highly recommend, if you're on the fence, get it. Because you will be very pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I love my 3DS. So that's like the last Nintendo thing I got. But mm-hmm. uh, the Switch, like I work in a late electronics in uh in like a retail <laughs> store so i like i look oh okay so you're fine like <laughs> yeah i'm like i want it but i'm just more waiting for them to like release more games yeah i mean i have skyrim and i think if i just can't even start i love i mean i put like 300 hours in a skyrim i need to stop i can I <laughs> uh, not put it in my switch even though it's on there i really want to play <laughs> That's me with um with Diablo three. I have to buy it for like every oh. system that I have, and I spend way yeah. too much time. <laughs> All right. Well, we should probably get into the episode, um, though. Uh, I think we could talk about video games for like a million years if given the opportunity. Um, probably. Yeah. Episode time. So uh, we'll start with a quick recap. Danny, why don't you kick it off this time? Sure. Um, after learning that her magic came from Reynard, Julia attempts to transfer it to Alice with some help from Dean Fogg and a magical creature. In Fillory, Margot and Elliot discover that the fairies are growing an army and steal some of the fairy eggs for leverage. Meanwhile, Quentin and Benedict continue the quest and run into a break bills postdoc, Poppy Klein, in the process. She is eager to give Quentin the key, which inflicts psychological torture on anyone who touches it. Though Quentin survives, Benedict isn't so lucky, who plunges into the abyss and is swallowed by a dragon who takes him to the underworld key in hand. Yeah, so uh, I'll start by asking our usual question. Danny, what did you think of this episode? Um, I liked it. It was, it was hard to watch in some moments. Just the, the, the depression monster was made me very sad. Um, <laughs> But I think it was a really good episode. I mean, it's really hard to follow up on the heels of episode five because yeah. it was amazing. <laughs> but I am so glad that uh, we finally got to meet Poppy. 
<laughs> yeah, um, me too. Uh, I have to say that because I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I think we would say um, it anyway. She's been, you, you have, probably haven't listened to all of her other episodes, but like this entire season, Danny's been doing a poppy watch. So, Oh, okay. That's what that hashtag has been. Okay. Great. Yeah. I actually think I owe her a couple yeah, bucks yeah. <laughs> because she correctly guessed that you would appear in episode six. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I did. I did. That was solid. <laughs> it's on the record. Um, so, Danny, were you surprised that Julia and Alice went through with the transfer? Um, no, because they're both absolutely the kind of... Because <laughs> they're <laughs> of, stubborn? They're very stubborn. <laughs> like, Alice wants the magic really bad and Julia really doesn't, so I was not surprised <laughs> at all. But I love the way that they did it. Uh, Felicia, are you involved at all? Like, how much do you know about the other storylines versus being sort of committed to your own? Um, I mean, I know just having read the scripts, that I was in and I I'm caught up. I have um, several episodes behind right now, but I did start watching season three. So I, I, I'm not as involved in the other episode, other, other, uh, storylines, but I'm familiar with what's going on. I, I don't know what the fairy eggs look like. Cause I haven't seen it. Oh, they're so creepy. What, they're hmm? gross. Yeah. I'm sure they're <laughs> gross. I kind of wanted to go see them at, at the prop table, but we never shot on the same day. So they never had them out, but I, I can imagine they're disgusting. <laughs> they're really gross. They're like, um, Oh, what do you, do you know those, uh, it's like a particular type of stress ball that like you squeeze it and it, it pops out in one corner. Oh yeah. They yeah, look yeah, like yeah. that except for Ooh. veiny. Okay. <laughs> um, so Felicia, what did you think when you read the script? What were your sort of initial impressions about this episode, about your character? I mean, I was thrilled. I, I, I loved it. I thought it was really, it was more lighthearted than the average magician's episode, I would have said, you know, in my estimation. And I was kind of worried that Poppy, you know, um, was too peppy. But then mm-hmm. when I got into the room and I was acting with Jason, I was like, oh, okay, this is how this is going to work. We We kind of, I think we we kind of hit it off immediately and found this great sort of um, way that they these two characters enlivened each other and sort of mm. brought new new aspects out, um, you know, at least for him and his character. And I love that, especially because it was a great contrast to when the depression monster came in, his yeah. depression monster, yeah. because that contrast was even more severe than sort of the Quentin that we know from, you know, the be- beginning um of the world and, and the show. So, um, mm-hmm. I loved it. And I loved some of the lines that I got to deliver. And I love the fact that, um, you know, it was, it was a lot more racy in a sense than, mm. than anything I've ever done before. Um, and I sort of got to have that tension with him and it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was everything I could have dreamed of in a, in a part. And I was just so grateful that I got to be Poppy because I love her as a character. She has so many different layers and, um, and I can't wait for even more of them to be peeled back. She's definitely like, I, I mean, I think it's hard for me to, I, I think every episode I say I have a different favorite character, but like Poppy is definitely one of my favorites. Um, and it's for exactly the reasons that you mentioned. It's cause she's so different from every other character in the worlds mm-hmm. um she has sort of a optimist but it's not really but on the surface she's she's on the surface very optimistic and, pe- uh, and peppy and sort of irreverent and um uh very shorthanded with people but that's covering up a lot of stuff <laughs> I, yeah I, I work at a company now that is full of Australians and I I think it's th- I think it's that she's Australian is is what I figured out <laughs> from that. <laughs> I think yeah I do I do think that there is a quality to Poppy where she calls out bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I'm, I'm uh and I really like that. And it is an Australian thing. They're, she's earthy and kind of like not affectatious. Yeah. And, yeah. And will tell it exactly like it is, which I love because that's kind of actually how I am in real life. Like I say things that are just inappropriate, <laughs> but they're exactly the truth in what I'm thinking. And I haven't ever had a character where I get to be that. And it, and so I love that it's sort of playing in an aspect of who I am, but I've never used it on screen. So I, I have to say, so I really enjoyed this episode. I have been eagerly anticipating Poppy's first appearance like everyone else. But I do have to say she was... Um, kind of, as you mentioned, a little more sociopathic than I expected. Um, how did that hit you when you sort of realized that she was going to maybe not care so much about 
death. It was real. You know, I was working, I was working on the script a lot before I went up and I was like, wow, she is not a good person. (laughs) But I, you know, I feel like I am, you know, in my mind, I invented some things that I were like, well, this is why somebody would be like this. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's not evil. There's nobody who's evil. Nobody's, nobody's evil. Everybody's at work acting in their truth and their, um, their needs out there and they're working out their needs. And so for Poppy, she, she has to get a goal accomplished and that's to get the key out. And she doesn't really care. She doesn't have a personal connection with this. She looks at other people as people who can facilitate her needs. And that's a little sociopathic, a little very more narcissistic. Um, but like for somebody to be able to withstand that key, I think you have to have that sort of an iron strength of character because if you think about it, she had a depression demon and she was the only one who could really withstand it. And so what kind of person can withstand that, that had that capacity? That's a very, as a person who has either been uh, strengthened by force and by abuse or um, either by herself or other people. So that kind of maybe makes, you know, I kind of think of it as attachment problems. Maybe she has attachment problems as a kid. She didn't have a a loving parent to sort of attach to. And so she had only attached to herself. And that's why she um, brought that out. But, you know, with Sarah and John behind the show, sort of really seeing through that flavor of nihilism and stuff, I'm glad that they took off this this sort of sweetness um, that you see and like had those other layers underneath because it's a lot more fun to play with, to be honest with you as an actor. Yeah, to have like a real person. I can exactly. imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it's not perfect. That's one thing. You can be a lot of different things. We all are. And I love that all these characters are like that. And Poppy immediately in the first episode has those layers. Yeah. Um, were you nervous at all about how she'd be received? I tried to think about that. I mean, I want to do the very best, um, the very best I can. I, I, I want to bring myself wholly to the character. And I think I was a little intimidated because I think Jason is such an amazing actor. And you never know when you put two people together what's going to happen mm. and what's going to come out. And he, you know, it's, it took a while. You know, you kind of like do that dance of like, well, what is it that I'm going to bring that he's going to what it, what it, how is he going to bounce off me? How is, am I going to bounce off him? And, mm. you know, I think it was actually good to have us sort of like dancing around each other in this first episode. And as we, uh, you know, move, move forward, we found this great rhythm to the two characters and the way they interact. And I love it. And I just love working with him. I think I've had the privilege to work with a lot of amazing guy actors, especially. And each one, when they are professional and just great people, it's so wonderful to see how you improve as a person and as an actor, as an artist, when you work with people like that. So yeah, Mm -hmm. he, it's great. I really love that scene after he realizes, after, after he meets his depression monster and realizes what the key does, where he comes and confronts Poppy. And you get to see, what was that? Is that where I'm doing yoga? Yeah, where you're doing yoga. And (laughs) it's, it's because like you have, you have like him in the middle of these kind of two foils in a way. The one who is like the super perky and happy and just like, whatever, you're going to like survive or you won't. And that's how it's going to be. And one who's like calling him a wet blanket and also looks exactly like him. It's like little goth emo version of, uh, of Quentin. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's a great, I mean, I just love that scene because it's, such a relief that I was able to get rid of my own monster. I'm just like loving life. It's like I'm in a spa or something <laughs> and I have no, I'm not repentant at all. I don't know this guy and he's, he can't give it back to me unless I take it. So it's like, well, you know what? I, I believe in you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, I kind of do. But it, if it goes wrong, I don't know. I don't really care. <laughs> so I, I think that sort of begs another question. We don't see Poppy's depression monster, but she, she has one, right? So, what did you imagine that to be like, Poppy's Depression Monster, other than obsessed yeah, with seagulls? Um, yeah, there are a couple of times where I hint at the, at the Depression Monster, like, there. And, yeah, the, like, uh, look over the shoulder. Or... Oh, yeah, I yeah. totally thought she was conspiring with fairies at first. She was looking <laughs> over her shoulder, and I was just like, fairies. But then oh, it. oh, good, <laughs> so you're thrown off, even you. That's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, if you look at Poppy you see a very incredibly strong-willed person who has already heard all the words that a depression monster could say to her. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's where I started off. So she either, you know, I had a couple of scenarios where she, she was, it was either she had a parent who talked to her like that um, mm-hmm. in a way that made you either beat you, either you can be destroyed or you can be just steel hardened. And mm-hmm. she survived and was steel hardened. And whether it was herself, she'd heard these things from like an inner, you know, her inner monologue and inner person was abusive to her, or she had somebody who was abusive to her, um, or went through some things that made her just be incredibly strong like that. I think, you know, what I was operating from is that she had that already. And so the depression monster was something she'd already been used to and already had to steal herself against. And even though it might hurt, she's heard it before. And therefore she's able to either um, accept what it's saying, um, because really the depression monster is kind of a bad part of you inside, um, mm-hmm. either accept it or just re- be able to reject it uh, full, full force. Yeah. yeah. You were saying that um, Poppy's different from all the other characters you've played. What do you find the most inter- interesting about her? I I really love that she's um, she's very physically confident. Mm. Um, and I know that that's strange, but, you know, she's physically comfortable in her own skin when she throws off her clothes. Like, that was super hard for me. You know, I had to be in front of everybody with very little clothes on. And it's the first time I'd ever have to do that as an actor. And, like, it was very liberating in a sense because this – I could only, and I just had a baby too, so I was kind of, like, insecure about that. And, and the fact that I had to, in order to be the character, throw all that away, it actually gave me as a person strength. Um, I'm like, this is what you get when you get me. Mm. <laughs> and that was a, a quality that Poppy has that I, I feel valuable as a person having been her to have that in my life, because I think we should all have a little bit of that. This is what you get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You should accept it. Cause if you don't, you're an ass. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think I love that about her. I also loved the fact that she gets, she gets stuff done, man. She's not going to be defeated. She's going to do what she needs to do, even if it's step on other people. And I think, you know, to me, Poppy would be amazing at business in the area that I wasn't good at business Mm because you have to be ruthless and you can't really care about people 100 percent. And you can't necessarily do the right thing every time in order to get ahead. You know, those CEOs, they don't have clean hands when you billionaires don't have clean hands, you know. And uh, I admire in a sense those people. I would not want to be them. But I think that's the kind of person Poppy is. Hmm. So I think we also have to talk about Benedict. Um, Danny, I know oh. you were really, really upset when he died. Do you? Oh, I was. <laughs> Do you think his I death? Was like, the thing is, Wait, what was that? The thing is, is like, there was a point in the episode where I knew exactly what was going to happen. Oh. Like, because Benedict was on the ship and I was all, Benedict dies. He dies in the books. Um, and I was just like, but I was so like taken aback because it, like, I felt like we had no time with him, but at the same time, we really didn't have all that much time with him in the books either. Um, but like you said to me in a text, you said that it was, it made it more um, like Quentin's grief over the thing made it more or make a lot more sense. Um, yeah. Cause he feels completely guilty over Benedict's death in the books. And now I feel like it's going to be like elevated to like an even like a bigger <laughs> level. Um, but Quentin, I, was, I keep thinking that, like, say if Quentin had been given this key, like, a year ago, he probably would have done the same thing as Benedict. But, oh, yeah. But he's grown a lot. He's grown a lot as a character. Um, so it was nice to see that, that growth for Quentin, but I was so sad to see him, Benedict carrying it, and I just knew immediately what he was going to do. Um, plus, it gives us a cheeky way to get back into the underworld. Um, yeah. I think, like, I, once I start, I, I agree with you. Like, once I think um, Benedict and Quentin had that conversation when when Benedict thought that Quentin was going to kill himself, uh, I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> Benedict is gone. We're, we're done with Benedict. But up mm-hmm. until that point, I really had sort of figured, okay, well, Benedict is playing a different role here. And, you know, I talked about this. Like, I kind of thought that Frey was going to be the one who died because that would have more of an emotional impact for some of the characters. Um, but it was really impressive to me how this episode wrote its way into a really big emotional impact for Quentin of Benedict dying, one that mm-hmm. wasn't there before. I mean, they had basically no relationship. Um, yeah. And I don't know. Uh, I, it's, I don't know. The whole thing was, it, it, like, 
<laughs> Poppy comes out and she has that hilarious Burning Man line and which uh Felicia, what do you think Poppy's scene is at Burning Man? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think Poppy's into all of, I think she <laughs> definitely doesn't sleep, so she takes whatever she needs to do to just <laughs> burn bright. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, like, that whole, I think there is a real emotional impact now from Benedict's death, and uh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> yeah, honestly. I was like... I mean, I expected it towards the end of the episode, but, like, when it started, I was just like, okay, like, I don't know. I wasn't expecting to lose Benedict so soon, so it kind of, like, hit me, like, like a ton of bricks. But (laughs) I think that the emotional impact will probably be worth it. Yeah. Um, And I guess, I mean, uh, Felicia, I'm explicitly going to tell you not to say anything, Um, Danny, do you think Poppy is going to be the one who goes with Quentin this time to the underworld? That could potentially be what happens. But also in the underworld is kind of where um, Julia kind of figures everything out. So but I'm not sure. Julia's been there, right? Like, I don't know. I, I'm going to put that theory on my docket. Uh, the, the, uh, the whole dragon thing means Poppy's going to end up in the underworld. <laughs> and now we'll move on to something that Felicia can talk about. Fashion. Mm-hmm. um so well first let me ask i mean anyone else have anything they want to say about this episode felicia any like behind the scenes things that you can share with us um wow uh i mean i loved being on the set i just have to say if you think the sets look great in person they are breathtaking in person i mean they look great on i'm sorry if you think they look good on on the episode you definitely, if you see them in person, you would be, like, astonished. I walked onto the Munchak, and I was like, what oh my God. in the world? This is, like, the, the, the set, the interior set was amazing, and then we shot at 4 a.m. on a Friday. Oh and, like, God. walking down the dock to, to look at the boat in real life with that dragon on it, it was like, I was like, this is the best job I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> so, you would be, I just, I'm astonished at what they do. Um, just production-wise on the show. I think it's just stunning, especially, you know, on any budget. I think it's wonderful. You actually reminded me of something that I that I forgot to mention, which is that shot when they're on the, like, uh, precipice of the abyss is just beautiful, just stunning with, like, half the, half the sky in complete blackness and half of it in this, like, gorgeous, like, twilight-y um, glow. Mm-hmm. I just think I loved, and you know, um, the the director Carol. I think. Oh my gosh, am I forgetting her name? Anyway, she was amazing um, to have on set. Really fun to work with, and I just I loved having having to do something, you know, like provocative like that. Having a woman director there was really great. It made yeah. me feel very comfortable. That's great. Before we move on to fashion, I do have yeah. like a few tidbits that we didn't mention that I yeah. made sure to take notes about. Um, for one. Uh, I think that Margo's going to end up finding this, like, killing weapon somehow. The one that they mentioned. Um, killing weapon. The other Oh, queen yeah, the, the stone queen she mentioned. mentioned. Yeah. Yes. Um, and Do you think it's going to be Sorrow this... and Sorrow? Maybe. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, there's also a really funny thing, and I'm pretty sure it was, like, a, a cheeky reference, was they, they were mentioning vaginas with teeth, and I'm pretty sure... <laughs> That's just to make fun of this really bad movie that Hale was in about vaginas <laughs> with teeth. <laughs> Wasn't that a Diablo Cody movie with Megan Fox? It was called uh, Teeth, right? Yeah. Well, there's this movie called Teeth, but there is that Megan Fox movie that's great. But <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. There's multiple <laughs> vagina teeth. Um, movies? Wow. Oh, it's a whole genre. Um, I don't exactly <laughs> recommend looking it up. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also... I miss Josh. I just have to throw that out there. Oh, yeah. I, 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 we were talking about this because, like, he's been promoted to series regular, and we saw him in, like, two episodes. Where is Trevor? Bring back Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Poppy misses Josh, too, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Silence is great. Um, okay, fashion? Fashion. Okay. Um, I actually have to say, I, I really love Poppy's style. And um, 
Partly because it's like I'm actually kind of wearing almost exactly what she was wearing in that episode today. Um, I'm wearing like a white waffle shirt instead of a black one, but like the same like military jacket. So uh, partly I love Poppy's style because it's kind of like mine. It's like practical and comfy, but it's still stylish. She's got like lots of fitted shirts and loose jackets. Um, and she really looks like she's up for any adventure. She's got the right shoes for it, which is exactly what I would expect from a dragonologist. Um, so that was my first note was Poppy looks great. Um, Mm -hmm. what did you think? Is this what you expected from Poppy? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I was also though kind of expecting more of like a summery look just because Poppy's, you know, from Australia and they're always just like wearing like, you know, (laughs) I don't know. Not wearing jackets and wearing shorts all the time. But I, I did like the look, though. She looked very... It actually just reminded me of something you would wear. <laughs> it's true. I'm I, Like I said, I'm wearing that right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Felicia, how about you? Is her fashion what you expected? Do you think it reflects the character as you see her? I mean, I liked it. It reminds me a little bit of Jade, you know, but, like, tighter. Mm. Um, I really liked the... Um, the, the leggings I get to wear, got to wear, they were Spanx brand, and they really kept me in. I felt very, like, <laughs> held in. And I like the fact that it was practical, and she she's not a showy person. Like, she's not there to, to, to gild anything that she has. She's like, this is what you get. Yeah. And I, lo- I love that about her character, and I love I love that about the, fa- uh, the wardrobe that she got. And there's greens. I just, like, I like good, I like, I feel like I look good in green, so I'm glad they put me in greens. I think that I think that's probably true. I think like red hair and, and green go well together, like dark greens. Exactly. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, the other outfits that stood out to me were well, the first one is Quentin's guard out- outfit in Castle Whitespire because that is ridiculous. I'm so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that he's just like it's so hot and sweaty. <laughs> yeah. So that one and then um, Elliot's lavender suit in the carriage. And I think that partly stood out for me. I mean, one, it's like a classic Elliot outfit. It's like so showy, right? The opposite of Poppy, so showy. Um, And partly because Mm -hmm. I just read an interview where he mentioned, where he was like talking about episode five and he mentioned a purple suit. And I was like, I don't remember a purple suit. So (laughs) I think it was a slight spoiler for this episode. Ah, yeah. Um, I think like mostly fashion wise, I just always notice Julia. (laughs) How did I know you were going to say that? (laughs) She's wearing her red, like leather jacket that I, I want to steal from her wardrobe. (laughs) You aren't you still working on, uh, on the sweater on, um, Hyman's sweater? (laughs) Yeah. I want Hyman's cardigan. (laughs) Um, the last one I noticed and this is not going to surprise you, was Margot. I actually think she's worn that gold and red ensemble before that's, like, in the carriage. Um, And then I also noticed that she was wearing a black dress in this episode, which is the episode after she got force-married to King Joffrey. Um, That's just his name now. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I thought that was just, like, another brilliant thing. Like, it seems like it really is sort of about it being an anti-celebration for her. Yeah, Margo's always looks beautiful. She was wearing white, I think, too. There was a little was like white gold. lace underneath the um, black, but it was mostly black. Yeah, uh, she always looks amazing. We we can pretty much rant about it for I know. a couple of minutes every time. <laughs> All right, um, so we have a question for you. Whenever we have a guest on for the first time, especially from the cast, we like to ask, if you could steal any character's wardrobe, whose would it be? Oh boy, Elliot's. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> says that. <laughs> I mean, it's always, it looks so good. I told Hale on set, I'm like, were you born to be Oscar Wilde or is this just an adaptation? <laughs> because he drapes himself over things. Like, he'll be in the chairs near makeup. And I'm like, you're draped. This shouldn't be a human. You shouldn't, you're not human. You're, you're draped. <laughs> like, you're on a fainting couch right now and you're just in like a, a set chair. What's going on here? How did he respond no. when he said that? <laughs> huh? How did he respond when he said that? I think he just kind of like, oh. he, he did some of his hair that was romantic. I don't know. <laughs> He's ridiculous. He's like Lord Byron in real life. I don't get it. Now I want to see a movie about Oscar Wilde played by Hale. 
I know. He needs needs to definitely be in a period piece immediately. I don't know what (laughs) he needs to give them. He really does. All right, those are all my fashion notes. Um, Danny, Felicia, either of you have anything else you want to mention? No. No. (laughs) All right. Well, then we will move on to our MVP. Um, So I I don't know if it's because we knew we were going to talk to you or because I've been waiting so long for Poppy or just because you're that great, but your performance really did stand out to me, Felicia. And you and Jason were just so phenomenal together. Um, Poppy's, like, perky pragmatism is such a great, like, counterbalance for Quentin's pathetic despair. Is that a fair (laughs) characterization? Um, So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an MVP as a pair. Um, Oh, wow. That's great. I think, like, the two of you on screen kind of, like, made a new character that was amazing. Um, So, yeah, that's mine. Danny, how about you? I was thinking a similar route. Probably (laughs) both of them, they kind of owned the episode. For sure. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with the same. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, F- Felicia, um, how about you? Is there someone you'd like to nominate? Um, obviously, you can't nominate yourself. Not that you'd try. Um, you know, I did like Benedict. I thought oh, yeah, Harvey. He, he gave a really good performance. You know, he's kind of a silly character in a sense, but he, ha- he really put some layers into that and made me feel sad. And I thought, yeah. you know, in very little real estate, he made you feel a lot of different things. And there was one scene in particular at the very end, um, right before he goes over, that I was watching because we were shooting in the middle of nowhere at 4 a.m. on a Friday. And everyone was very tired. And he just really nailed it. And he made me feel very sad for him. Um, and, and like I said, very little real estate in the script, but putting a lot as an actor into that. So I guess I would nominate him. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. We've really enjoyed Harvey as a Benedict. Yeah. Oh, he's so fun. He's a big YouTube person. So he knows a lot of YouTuber people, which is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I didn't know that, but I can see that because he's like constantly putting things on. He's, his Instagram yeah. stories are just perpetual. <laughs> he really is very on all the time. We did some funny videos that I hope that he up- uploads when uh, the vid- episode comes out because he w- we were constantly doing things. <laughs> I think I saw one like right after they announced that you were involved with the show where uh, he like turns the camera on you and you say something like, I'm not perpetually, (laughs) I'm not perpetually taking selfies of myself or something like that. Oh, yes. He uploaded that. Why didn't he send me a text? That's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah, it was, it was a while. It was like right after they announced that you were on. So he's probably just too excited. Um, Okay. So that's MVPs. Uh, episode ratings. Danny, what's your rating for this episode? I think I have to go with like an 8 out of 10 just because episode 5 is just <laughs> too good. So You kind of stole the I, you stole it out of my mouth too. I, I had like written down 8 out of 10 for myself because it's a really good episode but it's just hard to follow 305. It really is. Felicia, instead of asking you to rate the episode on its merits, which I know is like really hard when you're in it, I'm just going to ask you on a scale of one to 10, how fun was it to make this episode? Oh, it was a 10. It was a 10 <laughs> all the way. It's, it's really hard to walk on a set and feel like, oh my gosh, I love these people. I love this character. I love, I feel so f- blessed that I get to act these scenes. And um, this was just such an amazing opportunity. I love this character, and I can't wait for you guys to see what else I get to do. And, um, yeah, so I rate I rate Magicians 10 out of 10. <laughs> 10 out of 10, craft service, everything. All the, all the crew members, everybody. I, I hear it's really great. And actually, I, uh, one of our listeners did ask us to ask, um, so I'm glad you brought it up. Um, what it's like coming on to this show that is already established um, as a new character. You know, it's always very nerve wracking. Um, but when you know you're going to be around for a little bit, it's not just a one episode thing. It's a little different because mm-hmm. you have sort of a different people approach you differently. They treat you differently. You're really establishing yourself and you get a lot more real estate, you know, acting wise. And uh, so, um, you know, it is it's nerve it's nerve wracking. But I, I have to say from up and down the, the, the chain of command at Magicians, everyone was so lovely and especially Jason, I have to give him a huge shout out. Just a wonderful gentleman. Amazing with his dogs. You ever seen <laughs> yeah. dogs? You will know he's a very good person inside and out. Uh, and so 
he really made every scene just a joy and made me love acting really in a way that I hadn't even thought about acting in a couple of years. Wow. That's, That's so good. great to hear. Oh my God. <laughs> well, Jason, I hope you're listening to all the wonderful things <laughs> that Felicia's saying about you. Yeah, you should listen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, anything else y'all want to say about this before we wrap up? I no, think just thanks for, I think thanks for having me. That's all I was going to say. Thanks for having me. And I can't, I really hope you love Poppy in all the other episodes I'm in. We're very excited. Yeah. Felicia, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know that I speak for both me and Danny when I say it's, it's just been delightful chatting with you. Yes. Well, Good luck with your <laughs> podcast. I will listen from now on. Thanks. I'll see what you rate me. How do you think my wardrobe did? <laughs> <laughs> um, listeners, thank you for sticking with us for season three. Remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Uh, the more positive ratings we get, the higher we show up in search results, which means more fans can find us and can hear interviews with great people like Felicia. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Physical Kids Pod. Bye. Bye. Mind slot. Hmm? I want Hyman's. Hmm?